This morning I'd like to begin with a verse found in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Romans 8, verse 14. The apostle said, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, we notice this verse begins with an expression, as many as. And you'll find this used a number of times in the Bible. It's a very important phrase, three words, it's for as many as. That's a qualifying phrase to let you know that what's under consideration doesn't apply to everybody without exception. We find in the book of Revelation chapter 3, verse 9, where Paul, excuse me, John, uh, is writing a message that Jesus is speaking to the church at Laodicea. And he says, for as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. As many as I love tells me then there are some that he didn't love. But as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Rebuke and chastisement in your life is an evidence that the Lord loves you, you see. In the last part of Matthew chapter 14, you'll find where they brought multitudes to where Jesus was. And their hope was that they could just touch the hem of his garment, they'd be healed. And the Bible says, for as many as touched his garment, they were healed. That tells me then that everyone who came there didn't make it all the way and didn't touch the hem of his garment. In Matthew chapter 22, it opens up where it said there was a king who made a great feast and he invited a lot of people to come to it. Many were bidden to the supper, but said they didn't come. They made light of it. Said they mistreated his servants, etc. So the king was angry, and he sent his soldiers there and slew those. He then told his servants to go out in the highways and the byways, and as many as they found to bid them to come to the feast or to the wedding. Well, that tells me they didn't find everybody was in the highways and the byways. But many as they found, those are the ones that were bidden to come. In Acts chapter 2, we find the Apostle Peter has preached a wonderful sermon on the day of Pentecost. And about 3,000 were added to the existing body of baptized believers to the church on that occasion. And then we look in verse 39, and he says, For the promises unto you and to your children... And to those who are far off, even as many as the Lord thy God shall call. As many as the Lord thy God shall call. That's who the promise was to. Those the Lord thy God did not call, the promise is not to them. And this is important. I want, I want you to get this. Okay. As many as. Jesus prayed this prayer, his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He bowed, lifted up his eyes to heaven, rather, and he said, Father, the hours come, glorify thy son, they might also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power of, of, all, of all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Who is eternal life given to? As many as the Father gave the Son. Now Paul and others are preaching there in Acts chapter 13. And after they get through preaching, there has been uh, quite a stir and quite a commotion and quite a response. But in verse 48 it says, For as many as were ordained to eternal life, Believed. How many believed? As many as that were ordained to eternal life. In the Old Testament, you go to the 35th chapter of Exodus, you'll find where God has given instructions to Moses to build the tabernacle. 
in the building of the tabernacle, uh, he gave instructions for people to bring certain things. And in this chapter, in the next chapter, you find the people described as being willing-hearted and those whose hearts were stirred and wise-hearted. Now, there's three categories of people uh, all connected to the heart. They were wise-hearted, uh, they were stirred in their heart, and they were willing-hearted. And one of the verses says, for as many as <laughs> were willing-hearted brought them. You know, the old Baptists are the most willing people I know. You know, uh, 10% are willing to do all the work and 90% are willing to let them. Of course, I found that to be pretty much true in about anything out here in life. The majority is always willing for the minority to take care of everything. They're just happy with it. They're just pleased with it. They don't complain. They're afraid they might get drafted themselves, you see. But as many as willing-hearted brought these things, that tells me everybody wasn't willing-hearted. You understand? And then we come over here to John chapter 1. Beginning in verse 11, it says, For he came his own, his own received him not. He is Jesus, came his own, the Jewish people. For he came his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him. Gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. If I were to stop there and not study the context, I might draw uh, a conclusion that wouldn't be correct. First of all, there's two words here that you need to take notice of. He came his own, his own received him not, but as many as did receive him. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For the foolish unto him, neither can he know them, because his spirit is discerned. So we're not talking about the natural man here. As many as did receive him. Well, Mary and Martha and Lazarus are examples of those who did receive him, opened up their house of, and extended a gracious hospitality unto him. As many as did receive him, that believed on his name, well, 1 John 5, 1 tells me, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Belief is an evidence of your relationship with God. You don't believe to become a son of God. You believe because you are, you see. So there are those who received him and believed on his name. He gave them power. The word power means the right. It means authority. He gave them the right, the authority, to become the sons of God in a manifest way. It's, it's like when you try on some clothing. Maybe your wife tries on a dress and you really like it. And you should always really like it, husbands. You should always really like it. If they say, how does this look? Uh, don't, don't fall for that. You say, it looks great. <laughs> You'll never get in trouble saying it looks great, okay? Now, and you might say, what well, really becomes you? It looks good on you. And you see, those who were under consideration, even today, those that received the news, the gospel, my friends, of the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, they receive blessings where they can manifest the presence of the Lord in their lives. And you can see Christ in their life. But let's finish it out. Here's the context. For his, <clears throat> listen now. He came to his own, his own received him not. But as many as received him, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name, who were born, not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The people in consideration were born of God. They were not born of blood. That means uh, they didn't receive it from their parents. They were not born according to the will of the flesh. Um, the will of the flesh doesn't exist in a spiritual realm, an unregenerate person. They're not born of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's the context. I've heard that verse quoted so many times by people outside the Old Baptist, where they would say, you know, it says, 
As many as received him, gave he power to become the sons of God. They want that to make that a relationship text. It's not a relationship text. Those that received him had already been born of the Spirit of God. They've been born of God. That's why they received him. That's why they believed on him, you see. And then God gave them the blessings of his Spirit where they can manifest that in the presence of others. As many as, when you read that expression, as many as, study the context because it's telling you that not everybody is under consideration. But as, how many is under consideration? As many as. So the text says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. No one becomes a son of God in any other manner other than by the sovereign grace of God. And here he's just saying, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. They're being led by God's Spirit. And God has always specialized in leading. You know, from a doctrinal perspective, uh, in Psalm 68, in verse 18, it says, when he ascended up on high, talking about Jesus Christ, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. Now, Paul quotes that over here in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. And the word captivity there, if you look at the center reference of your Bible, it'll tell you that it means multitudes of people. He led captivity captive. That means God's children, his elect, that were in captivity to the bondage of sin, he freed them from that and led them captive to himself. You've been made free from the bondage of the law of sin and death, but now you're in captivity to Christ. And that's not such a bad thing, is it? That's not such a bad thing. Then he gave gifts unto men. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ. When God delivered Israel out of the land of Egypt, he delivered them an entire nation without the loss of one. No one was left behind. No one was slain. He delivered each and every single one of them out of the land of Egypt, across the Red Sea, into the wilderness, not one was left behind, and the Bible says he led them out of Egypt. That's a picture of people leading captivity captive. They were in captivity down in Egypt, and he led them out of that captivity, and now they became his people from a national perspective. Then we look in Romans 2, 4, and Paul says, Knowest thou not, O man, that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? No one ever had the desire to repent unless they were being led by the goodness of God. Then it says you've been led to repentance by a fiery message. You've been led to repentance by a hell, fire, and brimstone message. <laughs> I've had people say when they found a preacher, are you one of those hell, fire, and brimstone preachers? <laughs> I said, hardly. <laughs> the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Every child of grace, every heir of promise, sometime during their experience here in this world, when they're born of the Spirit of God, by the goodness of God, that's what leads them to repentance. That's what leads them to a different way of thinking. That's what leads them to a different walk in life, you see. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. I think you have an example of that in Deuteronomy chapter 32 when it speaks about David, excuse me, God's dealings with Jacob. He said he found Jacob in a desert land in a waste howling wilderness. What do you think about when you read that expression? A desert land, dry land, fruitless land, barren land, a land with snakes and vipers and scorpions and all kinds of things like that. He found David in such a condition. Excuse me, Jacob. He found Jacob in a desert land in a waste howling wilderness. And then he said he led him. And then he instructed him. 
and then he kept him as the apple of his eye. Notice that. He led him, he instructed, and he kept him. How wonderful. I believe in a God that, that leads us. He led us out of captivity by the work of Christ on the cross. He leads us out of the bondage, my friends, that we're in from the standpoint of our, our carnal nature when he boils us the Spirit of God and he leads us by his goodness to repentance, you see, the work of the new birth that, that brings about repentance. And then from an experiential point of view, read the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the pathways of righteousness for his name's sake. Isn't that a wonderful leading? As Jesus is our great shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means I shall not go lacking. I shall not come up short. Whatever I stand in need of, God will supply. God will provide for me. The Lord is my shepherd. Look how personal that is. I love how personal that is. The Lord is my shepherd. Look at all the personal pronouns in Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. That's personal. That's individual. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. He leadeth me beside the still waters once again. He leadeth me. David oftentimes in the Psalms prayed for the Lord to lead him like he said, lead me in a plain path. I think about the servant of Abraham. When Abraham charged his servant in Genesis chapter 24, he charged him to go back to his homeland, back to the land of their nativity, to get a bride for Isaac. Now they're in the land of Canaan, and the land of Canaan they're surrounded by all the, uh, you know, Gentile, wicked, uh, evil nations at that time. Uh, the time has not yet come for them to conquer those nations and occupy that land. That will come after they come out of the land of Egypt, spend 40 years in the wilderness, and Joshua leads them over there. But I find over here in Genesis chapter 24, that's a number of years prior to that, Abraham charges his servant, and the servant bows down in praise. And the Lord answers that prayer, and here's what the servant said. He said, God has not left my master to let Abraham destitute of mercy and truth, but I, being in the way, the Lord hath led me to the house of my master's brethren. Aren't you glad that God specializes in leading his dear children along? <laughs> we sing that hymn. In shady green pastures, God leads his dear children along. David yearned for this. You read in Psalm 61 2. Where he says, Lord, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When I look at that, how God has led, I see where he has led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. I see why his goodness, he has led his people to repentance. I see on a practical aspect, an experiential prospect, how God leads his dear children along here in life. I believe the Lord has led me along the way. How about you? I believe he has. So Paul says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For if you've not received the spirit of fear under bondage, you ask not the spirit that you have received. You don't receive the spirit of fear under bondage, you see. But rather you receive the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. I want you to think about the, the work of God's Holy Spirit today and the different aspects of it. He says, you've not received the spirit of fear. Fear doesn't come from God. Fear comes from man. Fear comes from the world. A similar statement is made in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, for we've not received the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. That's what comes from God. Power comes from God. Love comes from God. 
assurance comes from God. You do not receive the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. He tells you what you haven't received and what you have. In fact, when you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he will tell you in the dealings of the spirit there that you have not received the spirit of the world, but you've received the spirit of God. There's a vast deal of difference, you see. So, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What causes a person to pray from the heart? What causes a person to want to open up the Word of God and read it and search it and try to understand it? What leads a person with a desire to come to the house of God and hear the gospel preach and to worship God with fellow saints? What, what causes a person to do that? They've been led by the Spirit of God. What, what other source could it be, you see? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, not going to be the sons of God. They are the sons of God. Oftentimes when God is teaching us a lesson uh, about his workings in our lives and in our hearts, he, he'll tell us to us in different places in different ways. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, he says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them was under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your heart, crying out of a father. Because you are sons, not potential sons, not possible sons, because you are sons. You see that? You're sons, you're covenant sons. And therefore, he sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. And what does that cause you to do? It causes you to cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba means father. You cry, Abba, Father. Just like a little baby that's when it's born into this world, the natural perspective, the first thing that baby does is cry. I understand that. For nine months, it's had a comfortable uh, <laughs> atmosphere, right? A comfortable surrounding. It's been, uh, felt the safety and the security of its mother's womb. Hadn't been over, hadn't gotten hot, hadn't gotten cold. Everything's been just right for nine months. And and all of a sudden, he comes in this cold world right here. That didn't cause anybody to cry. <laughs> so the baby cries. And the baby cries because the baby has life. That's a wonderful sound to a mother and a father. Uh, now, it gets old after a while, but in the beginning, that, that's a wonderful sound because if the baby wasn't living, the baby wasn't alive, you wouldn't hear a sound coming from that little baby. But you hear the sound coming that bad baby's crying because that baby's got life. And now he comes into this world here, and little does he know what, what lays in front of him. <laughs> well, he, he never would stop crying. <laughs> so the Lord has sent the Spirit of the Son into your hearts, crying out, my Father. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 3, Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, For you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, not written with ink. See, the laws of the Old Testament was written uh, of course, they were written in stone to begin with, with the finger of God. Um, as they were written down uh, back in that day, uh, you know, it was by, by, by ink, so to speak. But he says, not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God upon fleshly tables of the heart. God has written something in your heart, uh, His Spirit, that He, you know, in the Old Testament day, He wrote in tables of stone by His finger, or either by ink, but here's some writing only God can do. He doesn't use ink. He doesn't use a chisel. He doesn't use a hammer. He writes in your heart. And what's he write? You read about it in Hebrews chapter 8. It says, No longer shall any man uh, say, Know the Lord, say to his neighbor, or Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will write my laws in their minds, and I will print them in their hearts. And then chapter 10 says he would print them in the mind and write them in the heart. I like that. The Lord makes sure either way we say it, we get it right. <laughs> 
Print them in the mind, write them in the heart, write them in the mind, print them in the heart. Only God can do this kind of writing, this kind of printing, you see. So Paul, that's what he's talking about. You're manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ. An epistle is a letter. Paul wrote letters. He wrote 14 letters, 27 books of the Bible, of the New Testament. He wrote nine letters or epistles to seven churches. He wrote uh, two to uh, three, two to Timothy, one to Titus. He wrote one to Philemon. He wrote the one to the book of Hebrews. I believe he's the human writer of Hebrews. Those were all letters. They were all epistles. But he says to the church at Corinth, to the brothers and sisters there, to God's children there, you're manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ. He said, not written with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul said, For we were all baptized by one Spirit into the body of Christ. Now this is spiritual baptism, not water baptism, spiritual baptism. Every time a child of God is born of the Spirit of God, he's baptized by the Spirit of God and put into the family of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. So the apostle tells us these, these truths, uh, you know, in different ways that we might understand. If you don't understand it one way, maybe you understand it another way. But he tells us here, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you've not received the spirit of fear again to bondage. See what fear does? Fear and bondage go together. Always remember that. Fear and bondage go together. Fear and bondage and captivity go together. If you look at Hebrews chapter 2 concerning the work of Christ, we read there where it says, For as the children were partakers of flesh and blood, he likewise took part of the same, that he might destroy him who had the power, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't defeat. The death of Jesus Christ is victory. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and delivered them who through all their lifetime were subject to bondage through fear of death. See that? Bondage and fear. All their lifetime they were subject to bondage through the fear of death. You do not have to fear death. I fully expect to meet death one day unless the Lord comes back and that... That would thrill me. Uh, that would that'd be wonderful. If I don't finish this discourse this morning because the Lord comes back the second time, I don't think anybody here will be disappointed. No, no matter how well I could be preaching, you're not going to be disappointed. I don't care where you're at, what you're doing, what you're involved in. At the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with the Lord, my friends, uh, comes uh, uh, and comes, through, uh, comes back to us the way he went away in those clouds. When he comes, you're not going to say, oh gosh, I wish you'd have came tomorrow. I got much to do. <laughs> can you imagine somebody thinking like that? I can. I sure can. I've heard people say things such as that. Well, I, I do want the Lord to come back, but I do want to see my children get grown. I do want to see my grandchildren grow up. I do want to see some great-grandchildren, all those kind of things. Uh, they don't understand that what they're about to experience is far superior, far greater than that. Far greater. Now, just above here, he says something very interesting. He says, for the spirit of him that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you. And the word if here doesn't mean it might not. It means since it does. If the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies by that spirit that dwelleth in you. Now just pause on that for a moment. For the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you. Well, it does. 
Being born in the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. This is not just an influence in your life. It should be. But the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, my friends, that's, that's a person. You're talking about God dwelling inside of you. But the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. That he that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies and shall raise your body from the dead. That divine nature that you possess with it, God gave you by sovereign grace. As the Lord dwells on the inside of you, that, that power, my friends, that nature of God dwelling personally inside of you, that represents the same power it took to raise Jesus Christ out of the grave. That's just really mind-boggling. It's hard to get my mind wrapped around something like that. But you see, it's, it's the truth. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Let's go over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 just for a moment. Begin in verse 9. Paul says, For I have not seen nor ear heard, neither is the heart of man, those things which God has for those that love him. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither is heart, neither into the heart of man, those things which God has for those that love him. Now, this is not for those that don't love him. Notice this. When he says that love him, that tells me there's some that don't love him. He wouldn't phrase it that way. There are people that don't love God that live in this world. I, I hope you understand that. Okay? It says, For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, everything about God, as far as I'm concerned, is deep. When I hear people say, well, so-and-so really preached a deep sermon, what they're really telling me is we didn't understand much of what he said. <laughs> God, I know that because, well, tell me all about it. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to get it all back in my mind. I mean, it was, it was good. It was wonderful. It was good. It was great. I, right in the moment, though, you're going to have to give me some time, even though they just heard it 30 minutes before that. You've got to give me some time to, to remember some of these things. I know this man was uh, invited to come preach a meeting, and uh, he, the prayer pastor told me, he says, now, uh, we're going to ask you to preach four times. He said, but you only have to bring three sermons with you. Uh, sermon one, two, three, and on sermon number four, preach what you preach, number one, because they done forgot it by the time they get that one. <laughs> I think he's about right. <laughs> People have, a, have leaky, leaky minds, don't they? <laughs> minds with holes in them. Anyway, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man that's within him? And what knoweth the things of, of God, save, save the Spirit of God? In other words, to know the things of God, you've got to have the Spirit of God. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, and is foolish unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. To understand spiritual things, discern things in a spiritual manner, in a spiritual way, you have, to have, you have to be in possession of the Spirit of God. It's just that simple. The Holy Spirit has to dwell on the inside of you. When it does, now you've got a receiving set. I've illustrated this way many times before. You know, if you got an AM radio, you can forget getting an FM station. If that's all you got to AM radio, you'll never be able to pull in an FM station because you don't have a receiving set. And I like to liken the AM station to a natural man. He's got natural feelings, natural desires, natural thoughts. He's involved in natural activities, et cetera, et cetera. 
But over here in the spiritual realm, he has no interest, no desire whatsoever. Now, after he's born of the Spirit of God, it's quite different. After he's born of the Spirit of God, now he has a spiritual interest. He can have interest in spiritual things, interest in the Word of God, interest in the Gospel, interest in, in praying to God, interest in fellowship with the Lord's family, the Lord's people, you see. So if you want to get an FM station, you better get an AM FM radio. Now you've got capabilities to draw in signals in both realms, you see. The natural man can only bring in the signals of the AM. He cannot bring in signals of the FM, the spiritual, because he doesn't have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of him. But he that's the spiritual, Paul says, discerneth all things. Now, what are we going to do with the Spirit of God that's in our hearts? How, how are we going to benefit from that? Well, the Spirit benefits us greatly. First of all, it helps us in prayer, doesn't it? You come further over the book of Romans, verses 26 and 27. He says, For the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not how to pray or what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit maketh intercession for us according to the will of God. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what the mind of the Spirit is. You got one searching the heart. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. And the Spirit helpeth our infirmities because apart from the Spirit, we know not how to pray as we ought. Somebody may think prayer is simple. Prayer is not that simple. Prayer can be somewhat difficult at times. Have you ever wanted to pray and you just couldn't hardly find the words to say? You knew what was going on in your life, what's going on in your heart, uh, but to articulate it. Aren't you glad that you don't have to articulate everything and verbally express everything just right for God to understand what you're going through and answer your prayer? That's why I like in Ephesians 3.20 when Paul says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all things we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. See that? Now unto him, that's God, now unto him that is able. I'm glad I try to preach an able God to you all the time. I hope you understand that. <laughs> Our God is able. Our God is not unable. He's able. I'm unable a lot of things. But God's always able. And God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. How many times has God answered your prayer and a word never came out of your mouth? I saw something the other day that was very impressive. There was a letter. This individual was writing a letter to God. He said, Dear God, at the bottom of the letter had their name. Nothing was written between Dear God and their name. It just had tear stains on the paper. I'd say that was a great prayer, wouldn't you? Dear God, tears flow, wet the paper. Sign the name. God knew what that little person was going through. Don't ever forget that. You, you don't have to be great at articulating and verbalizing the things that you are feeling within your life and within your heart for God to understand and know what you're going through. In the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, we read where Paul says, Be not drunk on wine, which is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the word fill here does not mean content and quantity. It does not mean like you fill this glass up with water. The word fill here means to be under the control of. Under the control of. So we're commanded here to be filled with the Spirit, to be under the control of the Spirit of God. And he compares it to wine. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. See, a person is drunk with wine under the control of wine, isn't he? 
But you know, the problem here is, while he's under the control of wine, it caused him to lose control. And he had no control. And when you're in the control of the Holy Spirit, when you're being controlled by the Spirit, you won't be out of control. You'll be under control. That's the difference. He that's drunk with wine brings attention to himself. But that man, that person that's filled with the Spirit of God, under the control of the Spirit of God, will bring attention to Jesus Christ. He'll want to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. And that person that's under the control of wine, who gets out of control, you know, it's not unusual to see somebody drunk and wanting to sing. <laughs> they, they sing in some kind of song. It'll always be a bar song, though. <laughs> I'll guess back to guarantee you that. It'll reveal the corruptness in his heart. <laughs> He's coming out now. But see, the child of God is under control of the Holy Spirit and will want to sing hymns of praise and adoration to the Lord. That person's under the control of wine will make a fool of himself. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul says, well, we made a spectacle, talk about the apostles, we made a spectacle unto the world, that world means a theater. And then he says, for I'm a fool for Christ's sake. <laughs> I want to be under control of the Holy Spirit, be a fool for Christ's sake, don't you? I don't want to bring attention to myself, I want to bring attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to be out of control, I want to be under control in control. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can be that. So he tells me here to be filled with the Spirit, be under the control of the Spirit. I read where this a man one time, he saw a sign and it was uh, outside this tavern. It said, so-and-so tavern, the friendliest place in town. <laughs> so he said he thought he would just kind of keep up with that friendliest place in town, the tavern. So he just started reading the newspaper every day. And lo and behold, there'll be some news about that friendliest place in town. So he cut it out, newspaper clipping. And the next day or a day or two after that, there'll be something more news about that friendliest place in town. And he'd cut out the newspaper clippings, put them all together, and the summation of it was, in the friendliest place in town, if you want to find a brawl, you can find it there. If you want to find a murder, you can find it there. It's all about brawls and killings and everything else in the friendliest place in town. And people who are in the influence of alcohol, they like to socialize. They like to find other people, <laughs> you know, partake, to partake along with. But people in the influence of the Holy Spirit, they want to fellowship with people of like mind. You see, of like faith in order, as we use it, say that expression so many times. That's why I love coming to the house of God and meeting with the Lord, but meeting with the Lord's people. I enjoy a, a friendly handshake. I enjoy an embrace. I enjoy a, a kind word. I enjoy uh, just being together and, uh, you know, interacting with you, brother. I love the fellowship of the saints, you see. So that's a good thing. Book of Malachi, the writer says, They that fear the Lord spake often one to another. You cannot do that if you're not around each other. You've got to be around each other some frequency to be able to do that. So Paul tells us that we're to be filled with the Spirit of God. I like to be around Spirit-filled people. I like to be around people under the control of, of the Spirit of the Lord. In the fifth chapter in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is writing in this church about the contrast between the flesh and the Spirit. And he tells them, he says, now you can fulfill 
the law of God by loving thy neighbors thyself and walk ye in the spirit. You know, if you love your neighbors yourself, that'll take care of about every problem you'll ever have with your fellow man. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to lie about him. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to steal from him. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to try to harm him in some kind of way. See, if you love your neighbor as yourself, uh, you're going to be happy for your neighbor. You're going to try to do anything you can for your neighbor. If you love your neighbor as yourself, that'll take care about every human problem that exists in human relationships. He says, walk ye therefore in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now you got the flesh and the spirit here. And he's going to tell us in verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit lusteth against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, keeping you from doing the things that you would. When he speaks about the lust of the flesh, he's not talking about the meat on the bones here. He's talking about the, the carnal man. He's talking about the nature that man possesses. In his human nature, his carnal nature, his depraved nature. He says the carnal mind, well, he says the flesh, rather, lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another. Here's the warfare, here's the battle, here's the conflict. They're opposites, you see. And you see, they both have different appetites. They have different appetites. Now, that's illustrated in different ways in the Bible, but you take just the animals of God's creation. God refers to his people frequently in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, as sheep, right? You know, sheep is listed, you know, God gave Israel two categories of animals, the clean animals and the unclean animals. Well, the sheep is in the category of the clean animal. The sheep likes to graze the green grass in the meadow, in the valley. The sheep likes to drink water from the clear springs that flows in the creeks and the different places, right? A sheep will avoid garbage and trash and walk away from it. That's not what they're interested in. But what about a goat? Now, the goat's over here in the unclean category. You want to clean up your pasture, put some goats in there. You say, well, that's a lot of old tin cans and, and trash and everything else. Don't worry about it. <laughs> he, he, he's not particular about his appetite. <laughs> He'll clean it up. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 2, in the last verses of this, Paul is speaking here about false professors and a good deal of it. And in the end of it, he says, he turns out to be like a dog that returneth back to his vomit, as the old proverb says, dog turns back to his vomit and the sow to a wallering in the mire. A dog and a pig are in the category of the unclean. I tell you, a pig just loves dirt and filth. Yeah, and you've heard the old story, I know, you get the pig all ready for the county fair, and you get the pig up out of the pen, and you wash the pig, and you clean up the pig, and you spray perfume on the pig, and you put the ribbon all around the pig's neck, and all you got is a good-looking pig. And once you get through, and you bring him home, and open up the gate and, uh, of, the, of the trailer, and let him out, where's he going? He's going to the first mud hole he can find. That's where he's going. See, the flesh has a different appetite than the spirit does. And it all depends on which one you want to feed. That's what it comes down to. And according to Proverbs, the dog returns back to his vomit again. When Noah, after the flood, after the flood was over, and the waters had come back down to a certain extent, one of the first things that Noah does is he opens up the window and lets a raven out. Raven never comes back. 
You know why the raven doesn't come back? Because he's a carnivorous eating uh, creature. He found plenty to eat and plenty to feast on out there because all the, you know, you know there's animals and everything else, all the dead out there, he found plenty to eat out there. He never came back. Then Noah sent a dove out. Dove came back. He waited seven days, sent the dove out again. Dove comes back, brings a twig of an olive tree. That's some evidence to Noah the water's going down. He waits another seven days, sends the dove out, dove doesn't come back. You know why the dove doesn't come back? Because the dove has found a resting place for his feet. The dove has found a clean place to live, a clean place to dwell. He couldn't find that the first time, couldn't find that the second time, but he found it the third time, and that let Noah know that the waters had gotten down real low. A dove, and the dove and sheep represent the Lord's people more than any other animals of God's creation. In Psalm 68, verse 13, David says, Though you've lain, L-I-N, though you've lain among the pots, he said, Yet you shall be as the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. I love that text. I love trying to preach in that text every now and then. Though you've lain, L-I-N, in, that's an old English word. It means that you're laying in, a pros, pros, uh, in this uh, condition right here. When Adam transgressed God's law, he didn't just stump his toe. Uh, he didn't just find up leaning over. He fell all the way, my friends, in complete fall. Though you've lain among the pots, yet you shall be as the wings of a dove covered with silver, a picture of redemption, and fellows with yellow gold, picture of glorification. We find in Psalms 55, where David said, if I had the wings of a dove, I'd fly away and be at rest. When you study doves, you'll find they're very, very clean animals. When they make their, uh, you know, their nest one thing or another, they keep a clean house. And when they mate, they mate for life. There's no adultery among doves. None. They mate for life. They take care of their young. They look for clean places. And so we find over here where the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, keeping you doing the things that you do because these are contrary one to another. Then he's going to give you 19 works of the flesh. 19. And I believe you can divide them up into three categories. The first category would be the sensual sins. Starts off with adultery and fornication, lasciviousness. It gets worse as the list keeps going. Then he'll come down to the sins of superstition idolatry and witchcraft. And then the last sins that's listed there are going to be the sins of uh, social sins, wrath and anger and all these kinds. There's 19 of them listed there. Uh, read them. But you notice it's called the works of the flesh and it's followed in verse 22 by the fruit of the Spirit. Notice that. Works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit, a machine can uh, turn out a product, it can work and turn out a product, but it can't bear forth fruit because fruit has to come from the living, you see. And you take a look at the fruit of the Spirit, it's a ninefold fruit of the Spirit. And then you can divide that into three parts. The first part is Godward. The fruit of the Spirit starts off with love. If you ain't got that in there, <laughs> nothing else is going to really matter much, right? Love, joy, and peace. Love is what produces joyful life. And love and joy is what's going to bring you peace. 
And so join. J for Jesus, O for others, Y for yourself. That's the way you spell it. You spell it any other way, you're going to get it all mixed up, and you're not going to have the joy that's under consideration. You've got to put Jesus first. You've got to put others second. You've got to put yourself last. Love, joy, peace. Then there's manward. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. That's what you'd have to your fellow man. And then last of all is faith and temperance and meekness. That's selfward. You're at Godward, manward, and selfward. <laughs> faith, meekness, and temperance, which there, against, there is no law. Now, when you bear fruit, you know, when the fruit is, is born on the tree, it's got more seeds in it than it was when it was planted, Right? And it's going to produce uh, fruit. That fruit's produced to be consumed, to be eaten. It's produced. You produce it for other people. In John chapter 15, the Lord Jesus Christ said um, that my disciples should, should bring forth fruit. That's, that's uh, what discipleship's all about, is be fruit-bearing people here in this world. So after he gets through talking about the works of the flesh, then the fruit of the Spirit over here, he says, um, therefore, if we live in the Spirit, let us also what? Walk in the Spirit. Now, if you have the Spirit of God, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, you, you are the sons of God. Then we can be filled with the Spirit. Then you walk in the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19, he says, quench not the Spirit. That word quench means to extinguish. You know, if you get a fire in the kitchen, you grab an ex, a fire extinguisher, Right? And you, you blow it on that fire because you want to put the fire out. But it's right the opposite in the spiritual realm. He says, quench not the spirit. Throw the fire extinguish away, brother. You don't want to quench the spirit of God. It has reference to fire. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it said there came a rushing mighty sound from heaven. And it says, uh, and the spirit descended, brother, and got cloven tongues, and, and it rested upon them as, uh, as uh, tongues of fire. What do you get out of fire? You get light. You get warmth. You get beauty. You get power. And when the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and preached, it ought to do three things for you. It ought to provide light for your mind. It ought to provide warmth for your heart. It ought to provide energy for your soul. Another way to put it is, it affects the way you think, the way you feel, and then it gives you a swift kick in a certain place of the body and gets you on down the road. <laughs> Quench not the spirit. Quench not the spirit. That's why those people said on the road to Emmaus when Jesus revealed himself to them, they said, did not our hearts burn within us? All oh, the fire was there, the feeling was there. When Jesus was in their presence, they could feel it right in their hearts. They said, no, no, our hearts burn within us. That's what we're lacking today in America, my friends, in the household of faith, is a lack of heartburn, spiritual heartburn. Quench not the spirit. In 1 Corinthians 14 and 13, and this is a chapter that deals with speaking in tongues and how Paul is going to you know, teach the, the lesson here. Uh, that, that edification is far better than speaking in tongues because speaking in tongues cannot edify because people don't understand what you're saying. People get that, uh, uh, get that so mixed up. You know, they think speaking in tongues is some great gift, one thing or another. Uh, Paul's talking about languages here. He's talking about being in an assembly and somebody speaking in a language nobody else can understand. 
Now he says in verse 13, verse 12, he says, when I pray in an unknown tongue, he says, my spirit prays, and he says, but my soul is not edified. My soul understandeth not. He said, but I pray with the spirit, and I pray with understanding. Now when we pray, we don't understand what we're praying about, who we're praying to, what we're praying about. And we need to understand the will of God. That's why, again, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, be ye not unwise understanding what the will of the Lord is. Let's just take the model prayer of Christ, for example. That'll give you a head start. You go to Matthew chapter 5, the Lord said, when you pray, you pray in this manner. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Our Father, where's our Father? Our Father's in heaven. You're addressing your Father in heaven, the God of all the universe, the supreme being, brethren, who rules and reigns in heaven on his throne, looks down upon this earth as his footstool. Our Father, not our God, but our Father. He is your God, but he's your Father. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy name is a holy name. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We desire to know and do the will of God. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That shows you should have a thankful heart and a thankful spirit and a thankful life. That every time we put a bite of food in our mouth, we know outside the grace of God, we wouldn't have it to eat. We wouldn't have it, brother. You go to the pantry and to the, and to the refrigerator and you got food in there. You ought to be a thankful individual that God has provided for you here. Give us this day, our daily bread, every single day. And forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Oh, that, that says more than some people want it to say. Forgive us, Lord, our trespasses as we forgive those. You're, you're praying, Lord, forgive me just like I, I gave uh, Brother John, <laughs> Brother Joe, Sister Sue, whoever, right? That tells me that I'm going to take forgiveness seriously. Forgive me my transgressions. I forgive those who transgressed against me. And deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. For thine is the power and the honor and the glory. He said, I'll pray, I'll pray with the Spirit, and I'll pray with the understanding. It's difficult to pray if you don't have the Spirit of God. Remember, the Spirit of God helps our infirmities. Then he says, I'll sing with the Spirit, and sing with understanding. I, I, I'm, I'm thankful that in our church here, we, I can call on a number of, of brethren to pray. I can call a number of brothers and when they're praying with the Holy Spirit, what a blessing it is to hear what they're feeling down in their heart. What they're feeling in their heart, I need to be feeling in my heart, you see. I'll pray with the Spirit. I'll pray with the understanding. That's part of church worship. And then I'll sing with the Spirit. I'll sing with understanding. That's part of church worship. Look at Philippians 3.3. He says, For we worship God, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. That's one thing about the old Baptist church, one thing about, I believe, the church of the Lord and Jesus Christ. We come here, we just don't have any confidence in the flesh. <laughs> and we want to rejoice in Christ Jesus, do we not? And we desire to have the Spirit of God. We are the circumcision that worship God in spirit. And that goes along with what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John 4, 23 and 24. When he says the hour is coming when the true worship of God must worship him in spirit and in truth. You cannot worship God in a true manner unless you possess the spirit and the spirit of God dwells with us. And then we must have the truth and thank God we got it right here. It's called the inspired word of God, 66 books, 1189 chapters of valuable information. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the apostle 
says, I have determined there nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. For my teaching and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Notice what it wasn't. There were those who would try to entice God's people with words of wisdom. Fancy words, you know. My teaching and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. I don't want to entice you with words. I, I want to draw you with the truth of God's grace. My teaching, my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was in demonstration of what? Of the Spirit. Demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That's what makes preaching different from just teaching. That's what makes preaching different from a lecture. That's what makes teaching, uh, preaching a different from just, uh, you know, uh, teaching a lesson or whatever. You ever hear about politicians? They'll say, well, so-and-so went to so-and-so church and he preached the message that day. Well, he may have talked. But uh, preaching is a lot more than getting in the pulpit and opening up God's Word and reading some words and trying to teach something from it or teaching a poem or something like that uh, people always seem to be thrilled about. But anyway, my teaching, my preaching was not in enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and also of power. When the gospel is being preached, it's preached by a man who's being called to God, given a gift of God, who's able to study the Word of God, rightly divide the Word of God, carry a burden, my friends, to the stand on a message for God's people, and God, by the Holy Spirit, blesses his efforts to proclaim the good news and glad tidings of God's people, and it finds a lodging place right here in your heart, and moves your heart, and enlightens your mind, and warms your heart, and, my friends, promotes and energizes your will and soul. It's times like this, I'm glad he called me to preach. I'm glad he called me to preach. <laughs> I enjoy doing a lot of things in life, but God blesses me. There's nothing I enjoy any better than trying to just tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about the Lord. I want to tell you about somebody you'd have confidence in. I want to tell you somebody that you can trust in. I want to tell you about somebody you can lean upon. I want to teach you and tell you about somebody that can solve your problems, brother. He, he gives solutions to your problems and answers to your questions. I don't know of any other source I could pre present to you that can do any of the things I just said there. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If your soul is ever stirred, your heart's ever comforted, strengthened, edified, you can just thank God that you belong to Him. He has provided something for you in this world that's incomparable. When I go to church, I always feel better than I did when I got there. Always. If I didn't have any other reason other than that to go to church, that'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? Who doesn't want to feel better? Who doesn't want to go somewhere where you can feel better? I tell you, by the time Sunday comes around, I done heard enough news. I done, <laughs> I done run into enough people. I done had too many of these <laughs> experiences out here. Uh, I done got pretty low. It don't take much to make me feel better, but I tell you, in the house of God, we have the greatest message, the greatest news that's ever been proclaimed to man. And if you don't leave here better feeling today than you before you got here, I just don't know what to think about you. Oh, the clock is always against me. You know, <laughs> so I just have to preach to a football style sometimes, you know. The other day, the pro basketball game is on, and Karen says, how much time left? I said, four minutes. Should not have taken an hour. 
See, it didn't take an hour. I think about 45 minutes is what it took. But anyway, thank you so much for your, your wonderful attention here this morning and your prayer.